What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A factual data creation facility production. Welcome to the OFNT Podcast, episode 201, which I'm calling The Dawn of Spatial Computing. Or is it? Just last week, I was bragging about what a mild winter we were having in my area, and I hoped I wasn't jinxing things. Well, since saying that, we've had multiple snowfalls and sub-freezing temperatures. The jinx is for real. Oh yeah. Well, enough about the weather already. Let's get this episode started. Yes. Okay. Before we start, I have some corrections. The correct term for Matters AirPlay and Chromecast open source alternative is matter casting, not master casting, which I have referenced not once, but twice. I do think that master casting is a better name, though. <laughs> I also said that the accompanying software for the EV Smart Ring had a feminist look to it. No. Well, what I meant to say is feminine look to it. Yes. I blame that one on a Freudian slip. <laughs> Tech news. According to the IDC, which is a business intelligence outfit, Apple's iPhone has the largest smartphone market in the world, taking a 20.3% share of the global market. This is a 3.7 increase year over year. Well, this is the first time Apple's iPhone has taken that crown. Arch rival Samsung had a 19.4% of the global market, which was down a little under 2% from last year knocking the South Korean giant into second place. That's the first time since 2011. I think Huawei was responsible for that back then. Besides more people choosing to buy an iPhone over its rivals, what does it all mean? Well, it means more money in the giant fruit company's coffers, thus proving the theory that money goes where the money already is. If you've had your eye on a New Apple Watch Series 9 or that fancy Apple Watch Ultra 2, be advised that these models will no longer have that blood oxygen sensor going forward. Those of us that have already purchased those models and those of us who still have older models of the Apple Watch can still enjoy blood oxygen monitoring, which was and I guess is still useful in detecting a bout of the COOF, better known as COVID-19. China! I guess this feature will return when Apple either shovels some money over to medical tech company Massimo 
which will cover the patents Apple borrowed from them, or a complete redesign of the sensor, probably to be included in the Series 10 Apple Watch, which is due out in September. I've been kind of predicting that Apple's Vision Pro would be a flop since its announcement last June during the annual Worldwide Developers Conference, also known as WWDC, or WWDC if you're a member of the tech press, with Apple as your primary beat. I made a similar prediction of failure way back when the original iPad was released in 2010. And like that prediction, I was wrong. I think I should get out of the prediction business. Yes! Estimates of the initial production run were between 80,000 to 200,000 units. Either or doesn't matter because it took Apple but 15 minutes to sell out of stock. Wow. That's remarkable when you consider the $3,500 base price of the thing, $179 for prescription lenses if needed, five, that's $500 for Apple Care. What? Which you'll need if you happen to break your Vision Pro. $200 for a travel case and $50 for a clip to keep that heavy battery fastened to your pants. Want a spare battery? Well, you should, especially if you need more than two hours of use from the new Vision Pro. Yes. That spare battery will set you back another $200. Uh -huh. Spatial computing may be the future, but it's certainly not in my near future at those prices. And all this during the worst economy since the 1970s. I got hairy legs. Go figure. I've been on a sci-fi kick lately, and the Vision Pro has me imagining a dystopian future where everyone will be locked down in their houses with Vision Pro-like goggles strapped to their heads living in a virtual world while Virus X swirls around outdoors. Oh, and remember that virtual keyboard the original demo for the Vision Pro showed off? And that keyboard floated in front of each of the multiple windows, making each one seem like a virtual computer. Bloomberg's Apple ace, Mark Gurman, is claiming that the keyboard feature will not be present on launch day. Instead, you'll have to poke each key one finger at a time. And, you know, to come to think of it, I wouldn't mind this too much because that's basically how I type on physical keyboards now. <laughs> I never did learn how to touch type. This makes me wonder what other features might be missing on launch day. Well, I guess we'll be finding out once the Apple Tech Channel hosts on YouTube get their hands on, or fingers in this case, on it February 2nd. I consider myself smart enough to realize that the Vision Pro will most likely usher in a whole new era of computing. But I'm also smart enough to know that I won't be part of that era until it's proven to be viable, and the costs come way down, if I'm ever going to be part of it. What are your thoughts on the Vision Pro? The announcement of the availability of Apple's Vision Pro, of course, stole a lot of the limelight from Samsung's Unpacked event, which was held last Wednesday, I think. See? The diversion from competitors Apple deploys really works. Samsung introduced its new S24 series of Galaxy phones, with the top-of-the-line S24 Ultra retaining the old Galaxy Note design, a design I can't say that I care for. There are no rounded corners, just a large squared-off slab. I guess those who used and loved the Note series of the phones in the past appreciate that. The bezels have been shrunk even more, which is a good thing, but in my opinion, this new design is dated and, at least to me, boring. The base model S24 will cost you $799 for the base configuration. The S24 Plus starts at $1,000, and the S24 Ultra will start at $1,299. The main difference between the models, besides the design of the Ultra, are construction materials and screen size, with the Ultra coming in at 6.8 inches. 
Most of the announcement, of course, was dedicated to the Galaxy S24 Ultra, which featured titanium construction, hmm, where have I heard that before, and the new Gorilla Armor Glass, which covers that large 6.8-inch screen. All of the phones will feature the latest and greatest Qualcomm chipsets, or Samsung's own Exynos chipset, for markets outside of the United States. Samsung claimed that the Exynos chipsets feature a neural processing unit that is 14% faster than Qualcomm's, but they've made such claims in the past, which turn out to be not true. The S24 Ultra features better screen brightness also, some 600 nits brighter than the iPhone 15 Pro Max. As predicted, artificial intelligence, AI, was a big part of the presentation with the use of Google's Gemini AI to power most, but not all of the new features. We've seen a lot of these features on the new Google Pixel 8 phones, like stickers and reactions for texting, camera and video enhancements such as Magic Erase, etc. The cameras themselves of the S24 series were slightly updated this time around, no groundbreaking items that I could fathom. Samsung demoed a real-time language translation feature for messages and voice calls, which they claim is processed entirely on the phone using the company's own Galaxy AI model. That was really next level. You know, I'd like to see this on my next iPhone. You know what wasn't mentioned? Samsung's forgotten Bixby virtual assistant. One caveat, though, many of these AI features are only free until 2025. What? Meaning you'll probably be paying for a subscription in order to continue using them. This is probably due to the use of Google's Gemini AI, for which Samsung has to pay the big G for. Yes! And what I consider the best part of the S24 series announcements, Samsung will provide seven years of operating system updates for them, along with seven years of security updates. Yay! After the unveiling of the new phones, health tracking software for Samsung's watches and phones were discussed, with an emphasis on sleep tracking. <sighs> there were no new watches or tablets announced, which was sort of disappointing. Just before ending the unpacked event, Samsung pulled a Steve Jobs Just One More Thing shtick, introducing the Galaxy Ring, showing a picture of it on a large screen. No details were given meaning that the smart ring still isn't ready for prime time yet, but promise the audience it will be ready real soon now. The Galaxy Ring resembled all other smart rings which are currently on the market. I mean, there's only so much you can do with that form factor. But I'll say it again. If I were Aura, who are the current market leader, I'd be up nights worrying. You know, Apple filed for a patent for a smart ring last year, and if they do enter that market, well, it's over, Johnny, at least for smaller companies. It's hard to compete with the Apple juggernaut, but Samsung are doing the best they can. While the styling of the new phones are not to my taste, they are still nice and a huge important part of the Android ecosystem. I've never had luck with Samsung products, be it VCRs, hey, remember them? No. Televisions or phones. Every piece of Samsung hardware I ever owned malfunctioned or just plain broke down on me. Now I used to work with someone who was deep within the Samsung ecosystem. He rocked a Galaxy phone, watch, tablet, and laptop, and couldn't be more happy with them. If I were to venture back into the Android universe, I'd probably go with the Pixel or Nothing ecosystem. At least you have choices within Android, though. Something you don't get with Apple. Well, there's more bad news for the big tech sector, as Breitbart News has the headline. Google CEO Sundar Pichai announces further job cuts to achieve ambitious goals. From the article, in an internal memo addressed to employees, Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, 
revealed plans for additional job reductions in 2024. This announcement aligns with the company's strategic shift towards investment in key areas, particularly artificial intelligence. Pichai emphasized the necessity of making tough choices to facilitate these investments. As I reported in previous episodes, Google had already laid off 12,000 employees, some 6% of the company's workforce, just last year. The remaining employees saw a cutback in perks like free laptops and other equipment. Sure, you can blame AI for these job cuts, but let's be real here. As the big tech industry matures, the days of six-figure starting salaries, free meals and snacks, free transportation to and from work and other niceties are over. The money just isn't there any longer as competition becomes cutthroat. Google's main source of revenue is advertising, which is down industry-wide. It's no secret that TikTok is the most popular social media platform amongst the coveted 18 to 40-year-old demo, and those people are using TikTok for internet searches, not Google search. Google rightfully called out the business practices of Microsoft back in what I fondly remember as being the day, but have since morphed into what they once fought against. Oh, no. A lot of consumers don't trust them any longer and are switching to DuckDuckGo for their main search engine. I know I have. And speaking of videos on TikTok, while I do feel sorry for those being let go, I remember watching videos posted on that platform by many employed by Google detailing what most of us boomers and Gen Xers would consider a highly paid non-job, where most of the time at work was spent eating, going to the provided gym facility, or just plain resting. My sage advice to these youngsters affected by these layoffs is to toughen up for these hard times. Come on, man. Learn how to code indeed. Bah! Humbug! Tech I'm Using I mentioned some episodes back of having a black-colored magic mouse I had bought years ago but never got the occasion to use. I told of how it matched my newly acquired midnight-colored MacBook Air so I could now finally put that mouse to use. I did so, but what a pain in the butt it was pairing it to the new MacBook. The problem was with cables, and it's an Apple problem. For years, Apple's used their own propriety 12-pin connector for their hardware, which used a USB-A connector at the other end of the cable. That 12-pin monstrosity was then replaced with the much smaller and better lightning connector, which was ahead of its time. At first, the lightning cable had the same USB-A connector at the other end, which was later replaced with the USB-C connector. Of course, we all know that with prodding from the EU, Apple eventually embraced the USB-C connector type. Well, sort of bringing peace and harmony to the ecosystem. Not really. Only recently have Apple started using the USB-C connector for products such as AirPods. My lovely wife and I have AirPod Pros bought before our benevolent benefactors over at Apple decided to ditch the lightning connector, and in order to update the USB standard for our expensive earbuds, we would have to plunk down an additional $100 for a new case equipped with USB-C. What? We didn't fret over this as we had plenty of lightning cables laying around. With the introduction of the M3-chipped iMac in October, many expected Apple to update the Magic Mouse, trackpad, and keyboard to the new USB standard. But nope, those peripherals retained the lightning cable. This wasn't a problem with my new Mac Mini, it being equipped with two legacy USB-A ports. That wasn't true with my new MacBook Air, which only has two of the new USB-C ports. No problem, I thought. I'll just get one of those lightning cables so I can pair my Magic Mouse to the new MacBook Air. The only problem was that all the lightning cables I had laying around the house 
have the old USB-A connector on the other end of it. If you haven't figured it out yet, you need to connect the Magic Mouse by Lightning cable to the computer in order for it to pair. After searching through the house for a Lightning to USB cable to no avail, I remembered that I had purchased a USB-A to USB-C cable adapter years ago from Amazon. And I actually remembered where I put it. What? After retrieving the adapter, I was able to pair the Magic Mouse to my MacBook Air. The moral of this story is that Apple has created a nightmare scenario concerning cables, and for the price they charge for their hardware, this shouldn't be a concern for us consumers. Apple should provide all the needed adapters required, in my opinion. Hey, remember that rogue HomePod mini I talked about last episode that refused to update to the latest firmware? Yes. Well, anyway, it finally updated to the latest software. Well, it all started when I was battling a battle of boredom one day and decided to open an Apple app I hardly ever use. That being the Apple Home app, which is the company's sorry attempt at home automation control. I think I had to open the Home app only twice. Once for setting up the HomePods Mini, and once to see if the built-in thermometer in the Minis had been activated, which it was. For whatever reason, I decided to open the Home app a couple of weeks ago. I noticed that there was a red dot on the Settings menu, which told me that there was a firmware update available for the Minis. The current version was at 16 point something, so evidently they were updating automatically without my intervention being required. I've had the minis for about three years now, so that would mean they were running version 13 of the firmware when I first set them up. I clicked on the update button and sat back and waited. Well, one of the HomePod minis updated with no problems while the other just got stuck in a loop. First downloading the update and then attempting to install it. After a few minutes, the whole process would begin again and just keep repeating. I unplugged the errant HomePod, waited five minutes, replugged it in and again attempted to update with the same result. I then reset the HomePod, but still had no luck with the update installing. The loop continued. Wednesday night, I decided to try again, this time not using the Mini for about an hour and leaving the Home app open on my phone before going to bed. To my surprise, the next morning I saw that the update had indeed completed. What a hassle. You know, and I noticed no difference in the sound of performance of the HomePod since the update, which makes the whole exercise even more frustrating. The best weather app I had ever used for my various phones was Dark Sky. The app was so good I bought it twice. An iOS version for my iPhone and the Android version for my trusty Pixel 2. Dark Sky had the uncanny ability to predict weather for the location you are at presently. I don't mean general location. I'm talking about the particular block you happen to be standing on at that very moment. If Dark Sky told you it would start raining in five minutes... Well, it would start raining on you in five minutes. Well, Apple decided to buy Dark Sky. I didn't consider this to be a bad thing at the time, figuring Apple would incorporate all the features and functionality of Dark Sky into their own weather app. Yeah, I'd be out about 10 bucks, but at least I'd have a top-notch weather app built into my iPhone. Well, after buying the app, the first thing Apple did was shut down the Android version of it. Besides screwing over Android users, it deprived me of having an accurate weather app on my Android phone, which I depended on at work. My Pixel used AT&T for service, which got a signal no matter where I was on the airport. My iPhone had T-Mobile as a service provider. At that time, T-Mobile's coverage was spotty, if not altogether absent at JFK Airport. This would eventually change after T-Mobile bought Sprint, but that didn't help me in the meantime. Apple kept the iOS version of Dark Sky going for about another year before shutting it down. Instead of using Dark Sky servers, 
Apple shut them down too. With the next version of iOS, Apple incorporated Dark Sky within its own weather app. You know, the UI on Dark Sky was better than Apple's version, especially the maps. Another feature I missed was the ability to search any day and year and see what the weather was like in that location. As long as they recorded the weather, that is. It was fun doing this. The biggest problem I have with Apple's shutting down of Dark Sky is, though they say they've incorporated Dark Sky's ability to provide a pinpoint accurate forecast of the weather, it just doesn't work in my experience. For example, Apple Weather will send you an alert saying snow or rain will start in your area at, let's say, 1030. Well, it just doesn't happen. Or, you'll receive no notification and yet some sort of precipitation will occur. You could also set different types of alerts within the Dark Sky app, like temperature below freezing or frost alerts, amongst others. All you get with the Apple Weather app is severe weather and precipitation alerts, the latter hardly accurate as I've said previously. I believe Apple cut the accuracy and features which Dark Sky was known for, and loved for, I'd add, to better serve the almighty bottom line. What a shame. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Entertainment news. Iconic magazine, Sports Illustrated, laid off its entire staff via email on Friday. This most likely means the end of the once iconic sports-themed magazine. So what happened? Well, the first thing that happened was the internet. People just aren't buying printed media like they once were. Heck, I, I can't even remember the last time I actually purchased a physical magazine, and I was a big consumer of them. Another thing that happened was good old competition. Besides a dwindling of customers, the internet and podcasting brought a bunch of sports blogs and shows tailored to particular sport leagues and teams. There was no need for a general sports magazine, either printed or digital. The final nail in Sports Illustrated's coffin was the shift to serving the so-called modern audience. Like the struggling sports-orientated television network ESPN, politics were injected into the articles of the magazine. This shift was made glaringly obvious by the magazine's legendary annual swimsuit edition, which for years featured the most beautiful female fashion models of the time and was far away the best-selling edition of Sports Illustrated. Hello there. In recent times, those models were replaced with body-positive models, read obese, and even trans women. Now, I'm not body shaming here. You know, I could stand to lose some weight, and I don't even like looking at myself in the mirror. So what makes these publishers think I would like looking at other obese bodies? Some morbidly obese. 
And don't even get me started on the trans thing. Victoria's Secret is in the midst of the same situation. For the life of me, I just can't comprehend how CEOs of these companies can keep losing money pandering to certain modern audiences while abandoning their core customers and expect to stay in business. Let me know if you can figure this out. Podcast news. Well, not much to report on this week as Podcasting Incorporated continues shrinking. Amazon-owned Audible, which started off as an audiobook service but has recently started hosting, quote, premium podcasts, unquote, has announced a layoff of over 100 employees. That can't leave many more workers for Audible. I've been tempted to subscribe to Audible over the years, but I just can't get past a high subscription price Amazon asked for this service. There's a trend going on within the world of podcasting, and in my opinion, it's a good trend. Many podcasts are choosing to go back to being independent shows after being exclusive to the likes of Spotify, Amazon, and other big-time streaming services. They've realized that their audience will be much larger using the humble RSS feed for distribution. I'm also hearing that Apple's premium subscription scheme is a bust, with many shows going back to just releasing normal episodes, which are not behind some sort of paywall. All I can say about this is, welcome back. If you've been listening to the OFNT podcast for a while, then you know about my trials and tribulations concerning podcast listening apps. I just dropped Pocket Cast because the app subscription prices are way too expensive, and Pocket Cast is not a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. This is a shame because Pocket Cast is the best listening app out there, featuring the best UI and features, for an expensive price, that is. I've had a love-hate relationship with Castomatic which has a beautiful interface and a lot of the features of the podcasting 2.0 standard. The problem with Castomatic is the bugs. The developer updates a lot, but once a bug is squashed, another couple show up and it frustrates me. I went back and retried Fountain, but the app is just not for me. Though the app has most of the features of podcasting 2.0, it doesn't get the basics right. This leaves me with Podcast Guru. It's not perfect, doesn't feature all of the latest and greatest features, but it's the best podcast listening app behind Pocket Cast that I've ever used. I'm a sucker for audio plugins, but I've managed to not purchase any for months now. While watching YouTube the other day, a video from audio plugin company Isotopes made its way into my feed. The video was about the company's new product called VIA and spelled V-E-A. The plugin is a combination of noise reduction and voice enhancing tools geared towards podcasters and content creators. Though I have many plugins that do the same, I was duly tempted. I immediately searched for reviews of VIA, and the first few were very positive. However, I noticed that these reviewers were in well treated rooms using multi thousand dollar audio interfaces and microphones. After doing some more searching for reviews, I found others which were more in-depth and not as favorable. As a matter of fact, VIA was judged as substandard compared with other similar products available. Well, I'm glad I took the time to watch these unbiased reviews. They saved me from parting with some precious money. Well, the music is playing. And the episode is approaching its end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it for you. 
If you like what you heard, you can make a donation using the link in the show notes. Any and all donations will be greatly appreciated. As usual, you can always reach me at OFNTPodcast at gmail.com if you're so inclined. I'd enjoy hearing from you. Remember, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Hey, it's mighty cold out there, so why don't you bundle on up now and get off my lawn? Stay skeptical. I'm out. See ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.